Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is August 7th, 2017, and this is episode 212. My name is Scott Magnus. And enjoying watching a real professional work the ones and the twos, this is Jake English. And on today's show, we're going to go around the bases as we uh, as we nearly get to the 500 mark, but don't get there quite close enough. And we'll turn down the lights and get you a little bit more excited at night. But we'll do that right after we lubricate up. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you doing this week for your drink of the week? I'm excited about the drink of the week. Um, is it a gin and tonic? It is not a gin and tonic, <laughs> though it should be. Um I'm drinking a a beer by Trogues Independent Brewing, which is one of my favorite uh, breweries, and this and is towns a, as well. Yes, absolutely. This is a crimson pistil. Is crim, crimson pistil, pistil. What? How would you? How would you say that? Uh, I'm going to go with pistel. Okay, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's a flower. All right, it's ale uh, brewed with hibiscus flowers, and uh, it's an IPA, and it's it's pretty good. It's not your uh, it's not your standard you know citrus IPA. It's uh, I like it. Uh, it is the usual excellence from Trogues. What about you? Uh, I am doing a Brewers Art Penguin Pills. Um, hmm. It is a collaboration of with the Maryland Zoo, and a partial um, proceeds of it go to benefit the uh, African Penguin Exhibit at the zoo. It is a literal brew at the zoo. It is a literal brew at the zoo. So um, it's a combination of German and American hops. Um, not bad. Nice little summer beer. But Jake, getting back to your beer, uh, did you know that a pistil is the female reproductive part of the flower? I think had I known that, that this would have come up a lot sooner. All right. I just wanted to make sure that you are aware that um, it's basically the ovule producing part of the flower. Um, and it's basically a a long, um, well, we'll get to the long and the stigma and all that stuff later on in the show. I will take notes. All right. Well, with that, if you want to know what we're drinking on a weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble on over into the medical wing. Yes, it'll only tickle a little. All right. So on the medical wing, a few names to mention. Um, I guess the big one, of course, is going to be Mark Trumbo, who hit the DL. Um, not totally surprising, but it doesn't seem like uh, the Orioles are that concerned. They think that he'll be back during the West Coast trip. Um, Jake, big deal? Or is this, again, a Chris Davis situation where you're just like, eh, 
we could use a little bit of a shakeup in the lineup. Yeah, I, I think that they're doing well without him. And, uh, you know, one of two things is going to be the case. Either he's going to come back and be effective and you're like, oh, thank God, uh, Mark Trumbo was just hurt. Or he's going to come back and you're going to say, oh, oh, how do we win despite Mark Trumbo? In in the meantime, I, I think that, uh, you know, Trey Mancini has, has done admirably in that place. In that DH role. I think right. the bigger aspect is, you know, Mancini, if he wasn't in that DH role, was out in the outfield. And I think it's been really interesting for the past week or so seeing um, a combination of Craig Gentry, Joey Rickard, and Seth Smith out in the outfield and combining for an above-average um, defense um, and kind of assisting Jones. Have we, and I'm not pointing at you, have we as a fan base come around on Joey Rickard where we look at him as a defensive plus versus last year when I think that a lot of us, particularly those that were swayed by defensive metrics, were saying that he's deficient? So we talked about it last year beginning of the season where Joey Rickard um, was quite poor with his first step um, and not being able to really react to the ball really well. Um, and he basically used his um, his speed, as it were, um, to catch up to balls and make some really nice plays. Um, similar to like a Nate McLeod, I guess, um, more like a David Lowe is the best way to describe it. But I've always thought that David Lowe had a better first step than Joey Rickard did. However, I will give Joey Rickard credit. He has, um, learned to play the position a little bit better in terms of anticipating where balls come off the bat a little bit better. Still not a great first step and sometimes misreads the ball, but certainly I'd say at least an average, I think potentially is slightly above average player, um, from a defensive standpoint and always has that athleticism to make up for the deficiencies in his in his fundamentals for the time being yes that is correct he's got that youth to him but even a player like craig gentry who doesn't have that youth um has that ability to kind of um play up to it because he's got good instincts out there in the outfield and i think that's really benefited us in terms of seeing some really nice defensive plays and it's allowed jones to shade appropriately um, in order to just not shift within the infield as the Orioles have done in the past, but also shift within the outfield more significantly as well. Mark Trumbo is not the only name on the medical wing worth talking about. Sure. Scotty, I want to talk about Anthony Santander. Yeah. He's playing uh, some some uh, rehab games. Sure. And so I want to know what happens okay. if he becomes healthy Yeah, and he either needs to come up to the big club or get sent back to Boston. So he, I don't think he's going to get sent. It's it's not Boston. It's the Indians. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's Cleveland. okay. Yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. Red, Navy, Blue. It's all yeah, the same. They're both offensive teams. Gotcha. <laughs> Anywho, um, I, I think the big question is, do you know, what is the situation with Santander? There's a really interesting dialogue on uh, Twitter this past week between um, Camden Depot and Abby Miller, actually. And they were discussing the whole aspect of if Santander goes next year to the team, at what point... Um, could he potentially be optioned? And my assumption was um, he couldn't be optioned at all next year. He would basically have to ride out the entire season um, in order to basically be able to be optioned. But there seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy here. There's an indication that um, with one year of time with the team and 90 active days, you can actually option him down potentially, which if that's the case, if he does come up in August and or September then you may be only looking at 2018 and saying, we only need to keep him on the roster for 30 to 45 days, and then you could theoretically option him back into the minors. I haven't seen um, a confirmation one way or the other from an official source um, or anything about this, but there's some very interesting 
um, rule reading um, of, of kind of the CBA as it is right now. So it'd be really interesting to find out um, what was the answer to this. And maybe this is something that um, a beat writer could be asked of and say, can you go and look in the situation? This kind of reminds me of the whole situation with like the Wee and Chen situation of, mm-hmm. well, does he have an arbitration year? Or does he not have arbitration years? And trying to figure out that whole mess, which it was here. And I think this is going to get into a similar situation of um, a, a, a rules aspect of it um and you know if anything rockabaco is the best person to ask because you know if, if we have to get rid of him or we have to trade for him we often want to know what that player to be named later is going to be as well but you don't think it's a matter of him coming back before the rosters expand i don't see how it's possible is the best way to describe it because i don't know where his position would be and the Orioles are already playing with a short bench as it is all right well let's talk about the realm of possibility sure the other guys on the medical wing are ryan flaherty yep and jj hardy yeah now ryan flaherty comes back you have zero problems because ruben Tejada is on the on the uh team and you can certainly uh swap out one for the other but the real problem is J.J. Hardy. And I don't want to get too deep into this conversation because I think we're going to talk about it later. But what I want to know is, what is the roster move when J.J. Hardy is ready? Because Trumbo is going to be the guy that comes back and nixes the extra fielder, and I, and I think, or I'm sorry, the extra pitcher. And I think there's a real discussion to be had as to who which pitcher goes when Trumbo comes back. Um, but I want to know who, who goes when it's Hardy. Um, I think you have to look at that outfield core and say, which of these guys is a luxury? And Scotty Tuhati, if I'm looking at it, I think it's Craig Gentry. What about you? I think Craig Gentry makes the most amount of sense as being that luxury item. The only thing I would say is if you can hold on to Gentry until September, I think he often offers you um, a little bit of potential that you may not be able to have in terms of running the bases. Joey Rickard does not offer you that base stealing prowess that Craig Gentry does. Now, Buck hasn't really used pinch runners in the past few years. So as much as I think it's something important for September, Buck certainly hasn't really relied on it heavily um, during September, in my opinion. And something to keep in mind is that Rickard does have options, whereas Gentry needs to stay with the club. So, you know, through no fault of his own, Rickard could be that roster casualty once the favored sons, Flaherty and, and Hardy, come back. I still think you look at it and you say, we're, we're trading position players, but we're already short position players as it is. I think it comes back to, you're going to have to pull someone from that bullpen, and who from that bullpen gets sent down as part of the Norfolk Shuttle. And I think you look at names like that were on the Norfolk Shuttle earlier this year, Richard Blyer, Miguel Castro, Donnie Hart, and you say, one of those guys eventually is going to have to ride the Norfolk Shuttle for or maybe 10 days and then they can come up in september again and work it out i'd also be really interesting to see if we get into a situation where we get to the end of august and they pull a situation like we're going to drop kevin gossman down to the minors because Mm. he's got an option remaining and he's going to go past his five-year point and we're just going to do that to basically do some roster manipulation in order to get someone on the roster a little earlier as well I think that when Trumbo comes back, it's Donnie Hart that gets the axe until September 1st. I agree with you, and I don't really see the point of Donnie Hart right now. Uh, it, he just seems like a mop-up person. And honestly, if you want mop-up, we have another pitcher that came out of the starting rotation for that right now. You know, it's crazy. Donnie Hart had a position to lose in the bullpen yep. coming out of the, the offseason. With what he did last year, it was crazy to think of this bullpen without Donnie Hart. And if you look at the bullpen now, I think with, with, with the body of work that both Castro and particularly with Blyer has done, it's hard to remove either one of those two people from the, the bullpen and not consider them to be 
necessities back there. Agree. Agree. Um, so that basically covers the medical wing. Is there anything else that we're missing here in terms of uh, injuries and or ailments? No, no. All right. Well, let's go to 140 characters or less for this week on the Twitters. Jake, do you want to take the first one? Yeah, this one is uh, this one's a little sad. Uh, we're going to start with a tweet from Jim Palmer, who, of course, tweets at Jim 22 Palmer. Saddened to hear Don Groove Baylor died. One of the nicest men I've known, unless you were a middle infielder on a double play. Hashtag great loss at Orioles. Don Baylor, uh, former great Oriole, as well as many other roles within uh, Major League Baseball, um, gone at 68 too soon, uh, a member of the uh, the Orioles alumni, and uh, it's just a shame. And it, it's been really nice, I think, to see the rest of baseball reach out and react to this because we think um, so provincially with baseball about just Baltimore, but the loss of, of Don Baylor really does reach beyond Baltimore. Jake, the next tweet I want to go to is one of your favorite topics. It's Fashion Watch. This tweet comes from Dave at Baltimore Davy. It should be at Baltimore Davy Sour. But anyway, scouting reports on Tim Beckham. He wears high socks. All that matters. That is all that matters. I didn't know or didn't remember before I saw his first game. And all I had to say about Tim Beckham was he knows how to wear him some hosiery. All right. Our next tweet comes to us from Dylan Atkinson. Call me crazy, he says. But an Orioles reunion makes sense, in my opinion. And this is a a tweet that includes a link to a piece on MLB trade rumors that talks about Braves pitcher Jim Johnson. What if I say that I'll never surrender? What do you think about a, a reunion with Jim Johnson? I guess my only question about Jim Johnson would be, where does he fit in the bullpen? We just talked about it, and we don't really have a space for another relief arm right now. Um, I, I just don't know where Jim Johnson comes in, and I don't know if it's something you really want to be bringing him into at this point. I mean, what kind of benefit are you really going to get from bringing him up? I, I think the question is, can you can you cobble it together if the team is close in September, and do you need another arm? Is he better right now than anybody you can bring up from Norfolk? I would say that the answer is probably yes. Yeah. But the question then is, what do you have to give up? Exactly. I wouldn't say you have to give up a ton to get Jim Johnson, um, you know, in, in any year from 2010 onward. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I would do it. I would be okay with it, and I would be happy to hear the foo back in Camden Yard. Let's save this one for a little bit later, because I want to talk about the bullpen a little bit um, later in the show, too. Uh, Jake, another one of your favorite tweets is, of course, attendance tweets and calling out Birdland in general for their poor attendance at baseball games. And uh, Utah Street Report, at Utah ST Report, I believe this is the good old Derek Arnold, who'd fill in admirably last week on the show, um, even though he called me a nerd on multiple occasions. Derek... I'm going to dock you a few points for that one. But the tweet's on notice. He's on notice. The tweets go as follows. I say this with love. Hashtag Birdland. Be better. And, of course, it is a empty view of uh, the entire left field, as it were, um, getting ready for the game. Uh, it looks on a Tuesday night. And I understand where Derek is coming here. But it's a Tuesday night, and it was wet and stuff like that. I can't can't hold it against birdland can i say something unpopular here sure all right in any other year yes i would be holding the banner right i would be leading the charge and Derek arnold would be behind me yelling encouragement and saying where's fantasy boss but not this year i think that whatever happens with attendance 
is of the Orioles making. I, I was very critical of Orioles fans not showing up to the park when they had a winning club to watch. But I do not begrudge any Orioles fans that watched this team in May and June and July and thought to themselves, you know what? I don't need to come out to the park to see that. This is an attendance problem that is completely of the Orioles making. And I don't begrudge people for not showing up. The point that I was trying to make all those years was that by this time, in the past five years, we would have been up five to ten games above 500. We would be in the middle of a pennant chase. It would be exciting baseball to watch and shame on you if you weren't there to watch it. I say there's no shame this year. So unpopular as it may be, all those empty seats are of the Orioles making. Hashtag bandwagon Jake. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm I'm there. It's just I don't Hashtag what have you done for me lately? <laughs> Hashtag show me the goods. We'll get to that later in the show as well. Um all right, this next tweet comes from Dan Connolly at Dan Connolly 2016. Some guy trying to start wave in front of the press box. I throw him out like he ran onto the field, but I don't run things. Hashtag cranky tweet. I think we all can agree that DFA the wave should be a thing. That's not a cranky tweet at all. That's not a cranky that tweet. It's a perfectly reasonable and logical tweet. And I may have I may, I may have given way on my attendance, but never against the uh against the wave. Our next tweet is from Mark Viviano, who tweets at Mark WJZ and a great follow, by yeah. the way. Um as at Orioles Mark hun- uh, home run ten thousand, I think of good friend Joe Durham, who hit four of those and was the first black player for the Orioles to hit a home run. Joe passed away last year. I think this is a great tweet because uh, Buck asked, okay, 10,000, great. Who hit the first one? And everybody in the room was like, um, uh, let, let me get back to you on that one. So what you're saying is the press is exactly like you. It's a, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> exactly. Fact. But, you know, as as we... Where is Jack Cust in all this, okay? As we fail sometimes to remember some of the history of our club, this is a perfect example um, you know, Joe Durham holds a very special place in Orioles history. And apparently, according to Mark Viviano, was just as good a man. Um, so even for the guys that don't make the record book for, you know, the most home runs or the this, that or the other thing, pay attention because baseball has great stories for you. And this is just one of them. This record is like a bucket, basically, in my opinion, for the home runs. But instead, it's like tears and literally it's Orioles tears going into this bucket and filling it all the way up. Really? Yeah. Because there's just constant sadness for Orioles baseball. Okay. All right, Jake. It's one of our most popular times. We're bringing back an old segment. Jake, it's the Nick Marcakis watch. Ooh. This tweet comes from the official uh, Twitter of the Braves. Uh, You can follow them at Braves, not Barves, but Braves. Uh, And it says, congratulations to Nick Marcakis for collecting his 2000th career hit. And... Honestly, it's it's great to hear that Nick got it. Um, he's one of only 10 active players with 2,000 hits. It was great to see his wife there. That's that's about it. <laughs> if we're going to make trades with the, with the Atlanta Braves, why not just bring Nick Marquez back? Yeah, but we don't need him. We've got Craig Gentry. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Well, with that, um, I think that's all the damage we can do in a, uh, in 140 years or less. Uh, let's go around the bases and find out uh, what happened this week in Orioles baseball.
All right, so we came into last week, and as uh, Jake and uh, Derek Arnold mentioned, uh, it was kind of a resurgence of the 2014 uh, playoffs once again, with the Orioles going against the Kansas City Royals and against the Detroit Tigers. And I I think one of the sentiments that Jake kind of emphasized heavily um, coming into this past week was um, there wasn't a lot of hope in Berlin, is the best way to describe it. Um, Coming into Monday's game, uh, the trade deadline had passed, the Orioles had forego selling and saying, we're going to buy, uh, making everyone in Birdland basically say, why? Um, and What are you doing? There was potentially a, a collective uh, loss of sanity um, by the majority of us. And, and I wouldn't say by myself, but uh, by a lot of us saying, okay, like that's an interesting decision. Um, and then they went and played the Royals and they managed to sweep against them. And then they split against the Tigers and it seems like the Orioles have been turning a corner as of lately. And I want to start at first base and I want to talk about the starting pitching. Um, and over the past 14 games, um, the Orioles have put together some pretty remarkable starting pitching. Uh, during this time, uh, they've put up a 3.13 ERA. Um, they've got 8.58 Ks per nine and 3.13 walks per nine, which is good for 1.8 F war. Um, which is third best in Major League Baseball over a 14-day streak. Um, certainly a situation where this is not something we've seen earlier this year. In fact, it was the complete opposite. Um, but certainly this is better than we were expecting the Orioles to do. Um, I guess the question is, what has changed that has made the Orioles really good lately? And I think there's a few obvious ones. And the first one I want to talk about is Kevin Gossman. And we talked about it um, all the beginning of the season, Kevin Gossman was um, abysmal. Um, but Kevin Gossman's got it back on track. And I want to kind of talk about some stats that I've noticed, and then we can kind of get an aspect of a feel more in terms of what we've seen in the game. But you look at Kevin Gossman's stats, his Ks per nine have come back to a normalized rate compared to 2015 and 2016. His walks per nine have dropped from four, which is Jimenez-like, um, down to 2.91 over the past 14 days. And that's very reminiscent of his 2016 performance. Um, I certainly think that it's because he's getting a little bit more control on the outer edges of the plate. And I really feel like that splitter is doing some really um, a decent job in terms of how often he's getting going to it and how often he's getting that whiff aspect. But I really do think it's an aspect of fastball command um, more so than the splitter actually changing its velocity and or movement and him getting that aspect where the hitters are saying, I've got to be protective here on the outer corners with this fastball and then getting confused saying, oh, that was actually the splitter and I waved right through it. Jake, what have you noticed from Kevin Gossman and what are some positives that you've taken out of him? Well, here's the thing. When the splitter is not working and more importantly, when the fastball command is not there, we look at Kevin Gossman and we say, oof, two pitch pitcher. Are we looking at another candidate to move to the bullpen? But when both of those things are working, all of that stops. Sure. Right. And so I think that's exactly what we're seeing. And when we're seeing fastball command and really once the fastball command is there, you can play just about anything off that. Even if your secondary stuff is not as good, if you can't command the fastball and he's got an electric one, yep. it's all over. And that's one thing that's been incredibly frustrating to watch from him is to see him not be able to spot that fastball. And then it doesn't matter what else he throws on out there. The thing about Kevin Cosman that's been interesting to me is that because he's been in the game longer, it's easier to see, oh, he's still got that 96, 97 velocity in the late portions of the game. He really, 
he really uh, resembles more that Verlander esque type pitcher, and I don't I don't just mean that in in the fact that you know he's not sucking, but he's the kind of guy that you look at get stronger throughout the game, and just because he's had so many short outings, it's been tough to see in 2017, but I think really it's been fastball command, able to locate on the edges, out where he won't get into trouble, and then being able to play his his, um, his secondary pitches because no matter how good those secondaries have been pitching. Uh, pitches have been, they've been completely, you know, um, unimportant because he hasn't been able to get number one down. Yeah. I mean, you look at those stats that I just quoted, and Matt Kremitzer posted this earlier today. Since the All Star break, Kevin Gossman has the 24th best ERA in Major League Baseball at 2.93 among starters and the 13th best K per nine at 10.86. Kevin Gossman is pitching exactly like we thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season. Um, it just, Man, it took a half a season, and it's really frustrating. Um, part of you says, man, if you could have done this the entire season, the Orioles would have probably been in a playoff position and a playoff spot right now. Um, but your other part of you says, you know, there's still a season left, and the other aspect is now you know, again, it's, okay, he can put together the streak. Um, 2018, again, once again, looks encouraging, whereas earlier this season, like you said, uh, we were saying, you know, can he be even to be a starter anymore or can, does he have to get to the bullpen? I certainly didn't think it needed to go that far, um, but there were certain people within the media kind of calling for that at this point. Yeah, if you're going to have a rough season, though, and 2017 has been that, what better time to have an effective Kevin Gosman than at the end? Um, what about the other pitchers? Because the thing is, it's been, I would say, one and a half times through the rotation where sure. things haven't been awful. And when I say things haven't been awful, I mean everybody hasn't been awful right. with, with some notable exceptions. Um, you know, Abaldo Jimenez has, off, has also put in two not terrible outings. What's the difference with Jimenez? I'd, I'd say actually Jimenez has had three decent outings in a row. Um, and I think it really comes back to what always Abaldo Jimenez is having in a situation of he needs to be effectively wild is the best way to describe it. He needs to minimize walks, but still throw enough junk up there where he can get those whiffs. Uh, when that happens, his K rate spikes to basically Gaussman-like levels where it's above 10. But what's really interesting to me is looking at the strikeouts to walk rate and trying to figure out, um, per the percentage of batters that he's seeing, um, how good is he getting in terms of not putting balls in play, but either getting a strikeout and or a walk. And Right now, in terms of this, and from a percentage basis, um, Abado is at 18.4 uh, Ks per walk percentage, which would put him pretty much like an all-star level, basically. Um, and the last time he did this as a starter was actually last August and September, where he posted a 13.8 Ks per walk percentage, uh, yielding a 2.45 ERA and a 3.80 FIP. Here's the thing about Abado Jimenez, though. I think this is just really fortuitous sequencing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that Abaldo Jimenez has stretches like this that are surrounded by Abaldo Jimenez. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that he's done this, you know, three times in a row while the rest of the rotation seems to have figured it out and put it together. But you know that Abaldo Jimenez is just going to come back to whatever it is that he is in the next couple of starts. And, And the question is just how long can you push it off? Eventually, Abaldo Jimenez will be the guy that he is. And that is not this guy. Sure. He is no longer this pitcher. I'm delighted to see it, and I'm delighted to see it for as long as we get it. And if pitching is contagious, I hope that whatever it is that he's doing rubs off on the other guys that may have a chance of being good pitchers. But I refuse to get back on the Ibaldo Jimenez train. And that's not me being negative. 
It's just me saying you can't possibly expect that Ibaldo Jimenez is just going to be great for the rest of the season. You have to know that you have to take the good with the bad. Right now you're getting the good. Embrace it. Enjoy it because it's not going to be there. And hope that the guys that have a a reasonable floor, not ceiling, a reasonable floor can hit that floor because I feel like everybody's been below that reasonable floor for the entire season. We talked about that a bottom end is, of course, operates in ebbs and flows. I and mean, everyone that comes back and says he needs to be DFA, he needs to be DFA, it so comes back to you look at these suitable options to replace Obaldo Jimenez, and you say, yeah, they probably won't be much better than Obaldo Jimenez even when he's bad. But when Obaldo Jimenez is really good, he's potentially you know a top 30 pitcher in Major League Baseball. It's just one of those situations where he rarely is good for a long period of time. But if he can put together a solid month, where he's good and he's been good over the past 14 days. If he can put up another, we'll call it two to three starts back to back. That's enough to say he's a value. And again, he's not going to be your number one. He's not going to be your number two. We came into the same season saying a needs to be our fourth and fifth. If you have a pitcher that's pitching to a 2.5 ERA for an entire month, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Let's talk about Jer- Jeremy Hellickson. Sure. Jeremy Hellickson threw a gem in his Orioles debut what do you think we're going to get from him here on out? Uh, I think we're going to get Wade Miley. Oof. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think we're going to get not. Do, do you think we're going to get what Wade Miley should be or what we've gotten from Wade Miley? I, I think we're going to get um, what we've gotten from Wade Miley. Oh, you're, you're breaking my heart. I don't think we're going to see much from Jeremy Hellickson. But, I, but Hellickson had that one good year that one time. He did have that one good year, which one of our uh, audience members pointed out by their eight-year-old son taking a look at the back of his baseball <laughs> card, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. So I, I, I can't remember who exactly it was, but thank you so much for posting that because uh, your son does a better job with uh, statistical analysis than the Baltimore Orioles, apparently. Um, listen, Jeremy Hellickson is, is basically a glorified version of Chris Tillman Ugh. at best. So Jeremy Hellickson is just going to come out there and give you innings. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The Orioles need someone to take no, innings away from no, him. No, when you say he's a glorified uh, Chris Tillman, that does come across as a threat. It, it is a little bit, but you look at his numbers. You know, he's forecasted to have a 6.46 case per nine, 2.40 walks per nine, and then he's going to be putting up somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, 12% home runs per fly ball. He's going to be okay-ish, but not great. Um, and I think that's going to be very similar to, at best, to Chris Tillman. You know, he'll pull you, you know, here's another one I'll throw at you from, for two, from 2012. He's Joe Saunders-esque. And maybe that's good enough for the Baltimore Orioles. But I would come back and say, there's a reason Joe Saunders didn't get any additional traction in future years because he was Joe Saunders. But Joe Saunders can still be of value to you. And I think that's where it comes out from the Helixon standpoint of, he could still be valuable to you because of how bad the rest of the Orioles rotation is. Yeah, and we've been crying all season. God, if we could just get average pitching, right, we'd be fine. Now, we've gotten, I would argue, great pitching over the last week and a half. They, they have been undeniably fun to watch for uh, more than a week. But the question is, can they keep it at this level or can they just be not terrible? Um and so that brings me to my next question, sure. which is Chris Tillman. Yes. Chris Tillman was moved to the bullpen because he sucked. Is there any hope that the bullpen trip can do good, um, you know, can can do Chris Tillman any benefit, or are we just hiding a problem? 
All right, so I may be a little biased here, but I'm actually a little excited to see Chris Tillman come out of the pen. I think Chris Tillman has enough of a command situation where he can come out of the pen and potentially pump it up there and um, do a halfway decent job out of the pen. What's the ABV on the Penguin beer? Uh, it's only 4.5. All right, so something else must be wrong. Listen, here. if you're going to make offer me this, you're going to say, would you rather have Chris Tillman or would you rather have Jim Johnson come out of the pen? I'm going to pick Chris Tillman coming out of the pen as opposed to Jim Johnson. No, because the thing is that when Chris Tillman is good, and when Chris Tillman is on, yes. But Chris Tillman is not good, and Chris Tillman is not on. And the thing is, is when Chris Tillman is off, he is all the way off. And what I mean by that is most of his pitches are non-competitive. And I hate to sound like Rick Dempsey, but the thing is, is that Chris Tillman doesn't miss by inches. Yeah. He either hits the strike zone or he hits the, the middle of the opposite batter's box. Chris Tillman is not right right now. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's the fact that the injury affected him. I don't know if it's a physical problem. I don't know if it's a, a problem between the ears. What I do know is that he sucks and that he doesn't suck a little bit. And that not sucking a little bit is not something I need from the pen. It's the same problem that we had from from Ubaldo Jimenez. Sure, throw him the pen. You don't have to deal with him every fifth day. But he eats up a spot. And, oh, by the way, he needs to at least be able to come in to, to mop-up duty. Or he's no good to us. And they're clearly not going to cut him. And they're clearly not going to keep him in the bullpen for very long. So can he get right in the time that it takes for one of the other starters to suck? We've talked about this before in terms of Chris Tillman. When is Chris Tillman really good? That one time in 2013? Chris Tillman is really good when he's able to throw a fastball over 94 miles per hour. (laughs) If you bring Chris Tillman in for one inning and you say, your fastball will never go below 94 miles per hour, as soon as it goes below 94 miles per hour, you're instantly going to the DL slash you're being DFA'd. He's going to come in there and hurl the ball up there. I, I don't agree because I think that if velocity were a thing that he could just turn on and off, his first innings would be better than than the rest of them. And we've seen that, though, before. We've seen him come out for first innings, uh, similar to the playoff games, and he'll be chucking up there at 97, 98, and you're just like, holy cow, like, how are you doing that? Chris Tillman can chuck it up there. He just doesn't do it. You've seen the the aspect of his velocity. His velocity deviations are more so than a typical MLB pitcher, where he'll be like, oh, I'm an 89, 90. Oh, now I'm going to dial up to 94. He has the ability to throttle it. He's an excellent, he does an excellent job with throttling his fastball velocity, and that's how he gets so good. I think Chris Tillman could be really successful out of the pen on, as a one-inning, basically, pitcher, even maybe as a, a long man if you need him for two innings. I think Chris Tillman could be that wild card that really helps kind of push this bullpen ahead. You think that Chris Tillman is Tommy Hunter 2.0? No, I don't think he's, I don't think he's Tommy <laughs> Hunter 2.0. But I do think he is going to be a valuable part um, of this bullpen kind of going through the rest of the year. Waiter, I'll have what he's having. I'm going to keep drinking this Penguin Pills and just keep praying that Chris Tillman gets better. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else from the starting pitching that has really shown for you? Not really. Um, I think Helixson's the book is too early to be told what's going to happen with him. I don't think it's going to be that great. Um, Dylan Mundy's only pitched one time in the past 14 days. Um, it was interesting that the Orioles let him go for eight innings, even though they were well ahead. If you're going to be on an innings limit, why are you letting him a pitch? You're either worried about him or you're not. Right. Come on, guys. Figure it out. I, I will say this. The Orioles are like 13 and 10 since the All-Star break, which when you have the deficit that they've had for so long is not good enough. 
but they're starting to show signs of life and you have to start somewhere. So let's hope that they can get it going and that this is the sign of life for a run in August and September. So heading on and over to second base, Tim Beckham has to be the story of the week, AL player of the week. Uh, and Tim Beckham uh, went in fuego this week is the best way to put it. Three home runs, six RBIs, 583 average, 600 on base percentage, uh, 1.167 slugging percentage, 720 WOBA, and a 371 rated ones credit plus. This is the way he's going to be forever, right? This is just, this is Tim Beckham. If he can maintain that 688 Babbitt that he has, that would be, <laughs> um, that would be mighty impressive. All right. Before I crap on the guy, let me just say this. It's possible that this is a classic example of change of scenery guy, mm-hmm. a guy that <clears throat> has shown flashes in the past. He was the number one overall pick. Sure, and Dan Duquette loves number one picks. <laughs> he loves him some number one picks. It's possible that this is just a guy that needed a bat. It's possible. Um, it was actually funny. When the trade originally happened, Jason Collette, who covers the Tampa Bay Rays, sure. um, specifically mentioned he's like, uh, wasn't really happy with the trade is the best way to describe it. And he thought that... Um, Beckham going to Camden Yards was going to be a major boon for his career. He does really well against us. He does do really well against us, just like Michael Morse used to do really well against us, too. And that trade worked out so well. Yeah, but Beckham didn't have the requisite wrist injury. By the way, thank you so much for bringing up Michael Morse last week in the show, because (laughs) that open, fresh scar tattoo, and I was just like, oh, Michael Morse. I remember booing him a lot. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Tim Beckham is not going to be as good as no, he has this week. There's no clearly. chance about it. Buck has even alluded to it saying, oh, we'll see how he continues to do, and uh, we'll see what happens. But Beckham offers that option um, over the next few years that he is going to be a serviceable shortstop. And I think he's going to be uh, Pedro Alvarez-like, where when he's hot, he's untouchable. And um, when he's not, he's going to take your breath away. Yeah, well, (laughs) if we had that queued up, that would be even better. (laughs) The thing is about Beckham is that he can be your number nine hitter, except that when he's on, he can help make the engine go, right? In a way that I think that a lot of your other players of that caliber don't don't have that capability. And, you know, again, I say it all the time, you can't have nine all-stars on your team. And Tim Beckham is that guy that has the capability to get hot for a little while carry a team for a little while, but more importantly, be that complimentary player. And I think that if he's in the right mix where he's hitting seventh or eighth or what have you, and he doesn't have to be the guy, sure, you can get absolutely everything out of Tim Beckham. There, we're, we're squeezing like all of Tim Beckham right now, and we're, we're getting every last drop of it. At some point, he'll come back down to earth. Oh, sure. But when he does, I think if he's just one of the guys, sure. I think it'll be fine. Jake, how do you feel about a 98 waiter runs created plus? I, I would take that. Absolutely. And how do you feel about 114 waiter runs created plus? I feel better about that. And how do you feel about that uh, supplanting um, JJ Hardy at the shortstop position who's putting up like a 60 waiter runs created plus? Yeah. Here's the thing about that. Um, Jake, take your emotions away and just look at the numbers. I don't think there's any way, particularly with the team going the way it is right now, that you can upset the apple cart and supplant Beckham for Hardy. I I hate to say that Hardy has been Wally Pipped, but healthy J.J. Hardy was not getting it done. And Beckham, for the time being, is. 
And so you have to let that play out. You absolutely have to. And I know that J.J. Hardy is a favorite of Bucks. He's a favorite of mine. He's a favorite of Birdland, and he won't be here next year. And you want to give him the send-off that he deserves, and I get all of that. But right now, Hardy is not an offensive weapon, and we need them. And Beckham, for better or for worse, has been, for a very short sample size, has been an offensive weapon and hasn't been that awful defensively. He had a single boot that cost the Orioles two runs in a game that they lost by two runs, and I get that. But nobody's going to be what J.J. Hardy is defensively, right? Because he's darn near perfect. But Tim Beckham right now is the shortstop that the Orioles need. And until he's not, he should get the playing time, period. And I would say that when you come back to um, the typical plays that a player should always make— um, Beckham obviously missed that one play and it's extremely frustrating when that happens because you're just like JJ Hardy would have made that play. But then you see other plays like the ending play on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the guy wasn't running at full speed going to first base, but you still look at the play and you look at the defensive range and you have to start thinking to yourself, man, with the Orioles positioning with Machado scope and Beckham, man, that's going to be some pretty decent range out there in, in the infield. So, I personally think that you take that as a positive over what J.J. Hardy was doing, um, and then you basically add on top of it the league average offensive performance as opposed to the very below average um, league offense that J.J. Hardy is putting out, and you say this was a big win for the Baltimore Orioles uh, going forward um, in regardless of this week or not. Yeah, and he won't always be this good. No. But and he's going to strike out a lot, thirty-two percent K rate. So he's going to be have Chris Davis moments when he's not this good. Will he be a sixty-weighted runs pl- uh, created plus guy? Um, I don't think he'll get that bad. But I'm going to um, go to the numbers just to um, make sure that I'm not wrong about that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it happens sometimes. Is the best way to describe it, where it gets down pretty low, but. I'd say that it goes through rolling samples of 15 games or so. But again, everyone is going to go through these streaks, especially as a league average player. We're going to be on fire and then not on fire. Like I said, it's Pedro Alvarez all over, except he's got a glove. So let's use Pedro Alvarez with a glove and take advantage of it. Absolutely. All right, let's let's hit third base. All right, third base is the bullpen has been really weird. Um, with Britain sticking around after the trade deadline, the pen is getting flipped around and upside down. Um, and there were some bad moments during the Tiger series is the best way to describe it. Um, and there's been some oddities. So Jake, I asked you this question. What are we going to do with the pens for the next two months? Um, the pen right now over the past 14 days is basically league average. Um, they are putting up a 3.47 ERA, which is okay. But when people talk about the Orioles, at least in Birdland, they say, well, we've got the pen to rely on so we can fall back on that. And it certainly doesn't seem like that's been the case. Britain, to me, has been his old dominant self lately. Um, Brock has been really good, at, I think, as well. Um, and outside the aspect of Givens giving up the Grand Slam to Upton, Givens has been really good over the past month. But then at the, after that, it gets into the, eh, I'm not so sure what's going on. Darren O'Day is a big question mark for me right now. And I don't know where Darren O'Day um, settles up for this team going forward. He's been brought in anywhere between the sixth inning to the seventh inning. But there doesn't seem to be a spot for Darren O'Day right now. I ask you, Jake, going forward, when it comes to these really tight games, 
um, who are you going to um, in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth if it if a pitcher comes out in the fifth inning? Honestly, I think that my ninth inning is clearly Britain. Yep. You're right; he's he's back to what he's been. The eighth inning is Brad Brock. Yep. And you know, I I gave you a little bit of gruff about it when we talked about it. The bevies, Brock had had a rough time. Yep. I think settling back down to the eighth inning has been has been wonders for him. This this past week, he he had I would say an unlucky week. You know, his his ERA is up over three, but his FIP is at a point one four. Mm. I mean, it, it was really legitimate. I mean, his BABIP was four twenty nine. Yeah, was, it was the luck dragon. Um, my seventh inning goes to. Um, it has to go to Givens, right? Yeah. I think that he is absolutely more dependable than O'Day. And I hate to say it, but I even look at a guy like Miguel Castro as being the bridge to that three-man, you know, the three-headed monster back there before I look at an O'Day. I love Darren O'Day. Right. I don't love what I'm getting out of him. It's so disappointing to see him struggle the way he has. But I, I really think that you just cobble this bullpen together as best you can to get to September. Because once you're in September, you can get a lot of one batter to one inning appearances out of guys that aren't that good. Sure. But are good enough for right then. And you can also have the opportunity to throw guys at mop-up time that you don't necessarily have to throw your, your real bullpen in. And one example I'll give you is, you know, Donnie Hart, I think is clearly the the roster casualty once Mark Trumbo comes in. But uh, uh, Donnie Hart came in during junk time the other day, gave up two runs that mattered not. And I wonder if that had to do with his focus in a game that mattered not, sure. right? And so when you can throw cannon fodder, basically, at those times, you have, you have Donnie Hart and Darren O'Day and everybody else focused on the time that they need to be at. I don't know. I don't think there's a magic bullet. Honestly, what you have to hope for is you have to hope for the the starters going a little bit longer, as they have, and the three-headed monster plus Castro and Blyer uh, being the rock of this bullpen, being able to get around the rough spots of Tillman, for now, and O'Day, who's struggling. Okay. I I, I understand what you're throwing with Castro and Blyer. Don't quite buy them just yet, because... I don't see it. Like, I know the numbers say they're doing great. I was going to say, have you not seen the last 10, 12 appearances from both? But I've watched them pitch, and nothing screams to me, all right, these guys are dominant pitchers that are not going to get rocked, is the best way to describe it. Um, let me let me throw this at you, too. There's been talk by Buck Showalter, even, of basically taking Miguel Castro out of the bullpen and potentially stretching him out to potentially be a starting pitcher. Is it worthwhile for the Orioles to pull him out of the bullpen right now and try to turn him into a starting pitcher for late August slash early September? No, 100% no. Okay. So let me ask you this question. This comes back to another one. If they were to do that and they were to say, take Dylan Bundy and put him into the bullpen and say, we want to conserve his innings. And by doing so, we want to put him into the bullpen for two to three inning situations where he can just dominate people. How would you feel about that? If only we had a pitcher in the bullpen who was like a proven starter who could be called upon to start in games. Oh, wait, that guy isn't Miguel Castro. It's Chris Tillman. But can Chris Tillman be a starting pitcher right now with his repertoire? Right now? No. Right. But if you're talking about Miguel Castro, what Miguel Castro is good at is what he's doing right now. He's not good enough. Sure. If he were good enough, he would have been a starter in the minors, but he's not. 
So he, this is the Jim Johnson predicament, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He, he has shown to be effective in this one thing that he's doing. Right. Don't mess with it. Okay. You have one player in, who throws the ball from the mound who's not screwing up. Don't mess with it. So, Jake, what I'm hearing from you is uh, when the Baltimore Orioles go and play the wildcard game against the New York Yankees in New York Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, you are going to be bringing in Miguel Castro within the sixth inning. No, no, no. We should we should hold him until it's too late. Okay. That's that's this, Zach Britton. This is the wildcard game, right? Yes, this is the wildcard yeah. game. But that's Zach Britton. What? Well, poor Canelo's dose. Uh, that's true. Well, you know what would happen is the Orioles would lose by Chris Tillman coming in. Jeez. Or, or even better— uh, what if we went out and got Brian Mattis, and Brian Mattis could come in at Yankee Stadium and throw up a gopher ball? Only if Nate McLeod comes back and hits the <laughs> foul pole. We've entered extremely dark territory tonight at Bird's Eye View. What is in this beer? Oh, my goodness. Penguins. Uh, all right, let's go to home plate. And um, the orange Kool-Aid is being swung about Birdland. Uh, there has been talk about playoffs. Playoffs? You want to talk about playoffs? No. Um, the Orioles are one game below 500. They're two and a half games out of a wild card spot. Jake, are you ready to start checking the standings on a daily basis and start thinking about playoffs at no. this time? No, 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 no. It's nice to have hope, but let's have a good week of baseball. And then after that week, let's have another good week of baseball. Right. I, you know, all we've wanted all this season, which has been disappointing, is for the Orioles to not be wretched. And we're getting that, and that's great. Like and like I said, ten and thirteen since the All Star break. That's great, except for the fact that they dug themselves such a hole that ten and thirteen is not sufficient. It's not playing just about or just above five hundred is not good enough when you dig yourself a hole. So it's encouraging, and if they can back that up with the same or better play, great. But the thing is, is that right now. I can't look at the standings and say, oh, we're right outside of a wild card race. Right now I can look at the stands and say, thank God we're still close. We have to get ourselves together before I can even think about this team being for real. Because the 2016 team, which was pretty good, couldn't make it past that one game plan. So if we're going to play that one game plan, we need to be firing on all cylinders. And we need to do it for an extended period of time. And we need to do it in such a fashion that I feel comfortable with this team. And I don't. I don't trust this team. You remember the first step of the first season of Bird's Eye View? It was waiting for the other foot to drop. Yep. That's exactly where I you am right now. You had put your foot down already. Yeah. We're, we're patting ourselves in the back because Wade Miley had a five-inning uh, outing that wasn't awful. Was it five innings or was it five and two-thirds? I think it was five, I think it was five and two thirds. Doesn't matter. It was it was only good enough. Um, but the thing is, is is that playoffs? Sure, we're only two and a half games out of the wild card race, and that's great. That's great that the season isn't completely lost. But we need to just check ourselves before we wreck ourselves at heart. The Orioles have to be better. Is that a Dave Matthews album, by the way? No. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. They're starting to show signs of not awful, and I'm all about that. And in two weeks or three weeks, if they're still doing that, then yeah, I will be all about checking the standings and being excited about playoff baseball. But that's not reasonable from where we are right now. What do you think? So we're entering into a situation, I think we always come to this part of the season, and we say, ah, the dreaded West Coast trip. And we say, this is the point of the season where we're really going to learn whether the Orioles are something or not. 
And we once again are entering into it again, um, playing three games against the Angels, four against the Athletics, and three against the Mariners. So, Jake, I ask you this. What's it going to take for you to pick the shoe off of their throats? Well, first of all, this wouldn't be a big swing if they had played better in the first part of the season. Jake, these are details that we do not want to focus on on this podcast. All right. (laughs) How many games are we talking about? We are talking about uh, three, seven, ten games. So a ten-game road trip. Hmm. Ten games. I say no less than six and four. I would agree with you. No less than six or four or else mm, it's not going to happen is the best way to describe it. I completely agree with you about this. If it's six and four, it's more than likely getting to the point of a little too little, a little too late. But if it goes to seven and three, Jake, and the invoices come out saying, (laughs) would you like to purchase playoff tickets? Will you be putting your invoice down? Of course I'm going to (laughs) buy playoff tickets, but... They better Because you are a sucker. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Actually, I think what really is, Scott puts the money down on his credit card, and Jake's like, well, you'll just let me know if we get in the playoffs, right? I'll be like, yep, we'll do so. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they've got to Bank go. Bank O Scott. They, they've got to go six and four. They have to. Okay. And you don't think it matters who they go six and four against. You, even though the Angels and the Mariners are right there with them. No. It doesn't matter if you know they sweep the athletics and then don't do so well against the Angels and Mariners. They just need to go six and four. At this point, style points do not matter. They just need to be numerically better than the teams in front of them. Okay. I, I, I think you're getting back into a situation where we've talked about in the past of the orders are going to be going against a lot of people um, that are right next to them. They've got the Angels. You've got the Mariners um, on the West Coast trip. They come back here to Oriole Park. They once again play the Angels and the Mariners again. Um, and the Orioles are going to be playing a lot of people that are ahead of them, and it gives them the opportunity to um, gain ground is the best way to describe it. Certainly, I'm somewhat pessimistic, but at the same point, um, the Orioles certainly proved me wrong going into last week is the best way to describe it. And isn't that what baseball is always, always about? Just when you think you can figure this team out for the Baltimore Orioles, they come back and they say, you know what? It makes no sense for us to do as well as we did this week. But um, we're going to take this inspiration that Dan Duquette has given us by basically saying we have faith in the clubhouse and I'm just going to plow ahead and we're going to play out of our mind for this upcoming series. It, it's not wrong, though, to be the most hopeful that you've ever been because this is the, the best that they've, they've been this season. Right. All right. Well, I think we have um, exasperated a little bit too long on a uh, home play. In fact, um, I think this might be a bird's eye view record in terms of an episode. Ooh. Um, let's go ahead and, um, calm down a little bit. Let me, uh, let me turn down the lights and let's go on over to our next very seductive segment. Now, you know, Scotty. This is the first time this season that the Orioles have played on the West Coast. And whether or not the MLB schedule makers are doing us a favor, one thing is for certain. This is our first opportunity to play the West Coast teams. You know, I I turned on the TV at around 7 today, looking to put the Orioles in the background as I prepared for this episode, and uh, they were not to be found. That's right, it's going to be late games, For the next little bit, you and I have talked a great deal about uh, how much I love the late games. But it's not just that that I love. Scott, more so than that, I love 
our favorite social media hashtag, and that is Dongs After Dark. Oh, yeah. Now, what is, you may be asking yourself, what is a dong after dark? Well, it's one of those home runs that excites us long into the night. Hashtag Dongs After Dark is the type of thing you would find on late night TV, say if you changed the channel from a frustrating Orioles game, not that that would ever happen, and found the channel suddenly scrambled, you know, because you were transported back to 1996. Channel 83, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And in case the games do go uh, that way, and they're too bad to watch, we have a couple of synopses of uh, you know, adult content films uh, that may be in a Dongs After Dark marathon that you may want to choose from. So, Scotty, do you think we could uh, roll through a couple of Dongs After Darks? Let's play this. A former stud lacks the vigor to keep himself in the lineup as his skills diminish. An untimely injury leads him to ride the bench, all while fantasizing about a return to the show. He works hard to whip his body into shape, only to see some new buck take his place. Anxious to show that he still has what it takes to perform, J.J. Hardy waits four hours before calling his doctor in Dongs After Dark 2, as good once as I ever was. Alone in a new town and desperate to fit in, one pitcher struggles to make an important decision. Does he suck like all the rest of the boys around him? Or does he keep it on the straight and narrow, bringing the streets of Charm City the light it so desperately needs? Jeremy Hellickson does a little pitching and a lot more soul-searching in this ASN production of Domes After Dark 2, Mist. Of the East. Picked to be at the head of his class, one player flails and falters with the catwalks above him. Eventually, he succumbs to the vigors of DJ Pussy, Cat, and is sent packing to a rival up north. Can he turn it around in the Charm City and live up to his name in Dongs After Dark 2, bending it like Beckham? Time is running out for one man as he tries to score one last time. The pressure mounts as the crowd demands satisfaction. After getting burned, he no longer flirts with the international flair. It's now a matter of whether his favorite sons can deliver when it counts the most. Dan Duquette stars in Dongs After Dark 2, Damn the Torpedoes. A young man is blocked from expanding further with his big game. Yet he manages to go on a tear and knock his balls around, leading to his mom squealing with delight. What other surprises does he have in store for you in Dongs After Dark 2? Boom, boom. Always overshadowed by the showmanship of his best friend, our hero grinds through another grueling season. 
Finally, playing with the big boys, he must do everything his body is capable of to keep his bands of brothers together. Jonathan Scope stars in Dongs After Dark 2. Dongs are dope. So let us know what you find on Late Night TV this week. Give us your best hashtag Dongs After Dark synopsis at Bird's Eye View B-A-L and at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. We'll retweet those ones that are family friendly. I love Dongs After Dark. <laughs> this has to be my favorite episode of the you year. You look forward to West Coast trips way too much just so you can do some Dongs After Dark. Well, there was a lot for you to look forward to as well this week uh, with uh, what happened this week in Fantasy Boss. Let's get into the nitty gritty details. Ah, the melodious sounds of Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani. Yes, Jake, you were the boss this week. The category that was picked last week by Mr. Derek Arnold was, will the Orders have more wins or one-run losses this week? And, Jake, you took wins, the ever-optimist that you were, and uh, I was left with one-run defeats. Um, Jake, you won this week with five wins, and we didn't suffer a single one-run defeat this week. Yay. So score goes to three, one, and two. Wait, what is this? Jake. You also hit a wild card. Ah, uh, yes, the wild card. The classic wild Saving card. Saving my butt yet again. Chris Tillman put up a not-so-impressive 2.0 innings pitched in a rain-delay scenario as well. Um, came back after the rain-delay and pitched, um, but still wasn't good enough to quite get through four innings, which was our wild card scenario. So, Jake, the wild card has been hit, um, but we're going to pick a new category and um, start things anew. And since this is hashtag dongs after dark week, I ask you this question. It's like shark week. It is like shark week, except with more, never mind. Can we expect dong NATO? That may have to be another <laughs> dongs after dark synopsis, folks. Um, so I ask you this question. Will the Orioles hitters have more dongs this week or will Orioles pitchers give up more? All right. So last week it was uh, Derek Arnold asking me basically the question of will you be the optimist or will you be the pessimist? Sure. Right. And I, it was hard. It was a difficult decision. I went with optimism. It was hard and difficult deep to manage. And long. Yes. Um, I'm going to go with optimism again. I'm going to say Orioles more dongs after dark than they give up All right. this week. I guess I'll have to settle with Orioles pitchers once again giving up more um, home runs than the Orioles actually get, um, reverting back to their terrible, terrible self um, that we've seen earlier this season. Now, I struck a wild card. And so, Scotty, the question is, do you want to replace that wild card? Since you since you got burned by it, sure. you do you have the right to replace it? Or you can leave it and just let it hang? So, Jake, um, I, I've given this some extreme consideration. Oh, yeah, there's no way we're starting that wild card back up again. <laughs> 
So the wild card will remain on the shelf until we need to get Jake or myself back into uh, the game once again. Um, so now that it is three two two, we are going to go back to standard categories. Um, hey, I've tied the tie category. I, I think in the next time for the wild card, I'm just going to say, Jake, can you name the song, and then I'll play some music <laughs> and see if you can do any, anything with it. That didn't end well. That did not end well. But you also know what didn't end well. Uh, it was Orioles baseball because some of it was ugly, um, but some of it was good. So let's go through the good, the bad, and the ugly for this week in Orioles baseball. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get started. Scotty, one of us one of us has to do it, right? Yes. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So one of us has to pick for our good, Tim Beckham. Yep. Beckham was insane this week. Um, let's see. A 371 rated, uh, weighted runs created plus a 720 Woba, uh, a 688 Babip. He was Simply put, in fuego. And here's the thing that's that's lovely about Tim Beckham. A uh, 20% uh, K percentage and a 4% uh, walk percentage. Everything going right for Tim Beckham offensively, but you can't argue with the results. He was just simply good. Jake, my good for this week is, you know what? I had one name down here, but I'm going to throw it out there. We had a tweet earlier today from Aquadzilla asking us the question, at what point can we take Abaldo Jimenez off the all-time ugly list for Bird's Eye View? And Jake, I'm taking him off. Abaldo Jimenez is good this week. I thought I knew you. Abaldo Jimenez, over the past seven days, went two games started, 12.2 innings, 8.53 caves per nine, 3.55 walks per nine. More importantly, a 1.42 ERA you know, the peripherals don't look great at 3.46 and a 4.26 uh, XFIP, but the 1.42 ERA and getting through two games, um, and I, really the one game I want to focus on was that one-to-one game where he came out mm-hmm. didn't get the win, mm-hmm. but he really kept the team in it the whole time and didn't ever go boom. Um, and that's all we need a bottom end is to do is just not to go boom. And he's had several games like that where he gets really close, um, where he's gone like, you know, six innings and I've given up three runs and you're just like, all right, just get through this ending. And then all of a sudden, bam, three run homer. And you're just like, oh, I think Abaldo Jimenez has been good. Um, and I'm optimistic for Abaldo Jimenez going forward for the next few games. Can I ask you something? Sure. Where does he store it? Um, that's so a good question. When he blindfolds himself and then looks for a nut and happens to come across it, where does he store it? Are we talking about Dan Duquette here? <laughs> we are. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's go ahead to the bad. My bad for this week. Oof. It pains me to say, but the big fella having a rough week. Chris Davis was bad in 30 at-bats. Darn near the the leader on the team for at-bats. Not getting it done. Sure, he hit a home run and had four RBIs. That was That was fun. But he also had a 34 weighted runs created plus a 229 Woba, an average of just 115. Ugh. Ugh. Now, maybe he got hit by the luck dragon that Babbitt was 133. But Chris Davis, 
rough week. Mm. Mine's going to go to Michael Givens, who just had a really bad outing um, and just left a, a, a meatball rail to play where Justin Huffman crushed it. Uh, if the Orioles would have won that game, and I realize it's a big what if, um, that and this entire week also would feel differently where you would have swept the Royals and you would have gone three for one uh, against uh, against the Tigers. And you would have said, okay, now we're a game and a half out of the wild card. And I think it has a completely different story. Just a really big loss. And it's one of the situations where Gibbons has been so good over the past month. You knew eventually it was going to blow up on him. You just didn't hope it was going to be right at that time where he came in to try to get out Upton. Sure. It can't be perfect, but woof, that was rough to watch. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go to my ugly. My ugly is Buck Showalter. My ugly goes to Buck Showalter for saying that J.J. Hardy is his starting shortstop when he returns. Look, I get I get loyalty. I get the fact that uh, J.J. Hardy has done a, gr- a great number of things for this franchise since he's been here. I get all of that. But you are trying to make the playoffs from a position where you are not favored to do so. And so you cannot afford to be loyal and you cannot afford to be uh, so finite about these things. The team is going to be fluid from here on and here, uh, here out, riding the hot hand, making sure that you do everything possible to win baseball games. And whether it's Tim Beckham or anybody else, Whoever gives the Orioles the best chance to win on a day-in, day-out basis is the one that gets the playing time. And look, Tim Beckham may come crashing back down to earth, at which point J.J. Hardy assumes the mantle as the starter and goes back and does all the things that we know that J.J. Hardy can do. That's great. But as far as I'm concerned, J.J. Hardy is in very real danger of being Wally Pipped because Tim Beckham is playing out of his GD mind. And for Buck Showalter to say anything other than, I'm going to do everything I can to put the best fielded team I can on the field every day is madness. I get loyalty. And I love J.J. Hardy. Believe me, he's one of the two Orioles that's older than me. May he play forever. But he is not the best chance for the Orioles to win right this second. And so failing to understand that, or at least to, to pay lip service to that, Buck Showalter, you were ugly. Jake, my ugly for ugly for the week is going to go to writing the script before the play has been finished. And the whole situation has been Orioles fans and droves have basically come out of the woodworks and said, this is exactly what is going to happen for the rest of the season. And we know what's going to happen. So we are not going to, as you put it, um, go to baseball games or pay credence to the team because um, we've seen what this team is. And we can expect nothing better from them. And it's fascinating to me that, yes, the Orioles did go through a very bad stretch of baseball through June and July. It was horrific to watch is the best way to describe it. But in April and May of this year, there was no better team in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting to me that when we have two months of really bad baseball, we're willing willing to immediately write off a team and say, this team isn't a very good team where for six weeks we watched a team and said, uh, this is a really good team and they have a chance to win the division. We are very much this aspect of, hey, show me what you got right now and that's how I'm going to judge you. I say to you, isn't the Baltimore Orioles for the past five years all about um, going against expectations of the script that was written for them? Sure, it's very easy to come back and say, yeah, there's not enough talent on this team. This team isn't good enough. Um, 
There's teams that are better than them, such as the Red Sox or the Yankees, that'll do better than them. But baseball is funny. Sometimes the best teams don't win. Sometimes the teams that does, doesn't really make sense for them to win do really well going into August of September. And sometimes those teams that shouldn't go to the World Series do go to the World Series and manage to get there. Right now, it looks like the Astros and the Dodgers are world beaters. It doesn't look like anybody can touch them. But playoffs are not being played right now in July and August. They're being played in October. Anything can happen in a five-game series or seven-game series. All you need to do is get into the playoffs, and anything can happen. The Orioles are this close to getting to the playoffs. And in the meantime, all Orioles fans want to do right now is basically say, let's rebuild and start again. Teams have tried to rebuild and build again, um, and it hasn't worked out for them. People can point to the Yankees and say they've done very well. Um, but again, the Yankees have didn't get to the playoffs last year. Um, they'll get to the playoffs this year, but we'll see how far they go. And the Astros also have had uh, numerous years where they've had difficulty getting to the playoffs. And again, they haven't had that success of saying we're getting to the World Series. My opinion on this is the reason baseball is so good is because it is unexpected. We're coming up into an NFL football season and you look at the playoff probability odds and it's the same teams every single year that you're expecting to get there. It's going to be the Patriots. It's going to be the Steelers. It's going to be the Packers. And to a certain regard, baseball is like that. But at the very end of the day, um, the script is never written for the border teams and the Orioles right now are that are the one of those border teams. They have been one of those border teams for the past five years. There's nothing right now that makes me say the script is written for the Baltimore Orioles for August and September. Anything can happen. Will it happen? Probably not, but it could happen. And I certainly am not going to write the script and write this team off until I'm finished watching some meaningful games in September. Well, look who is so hopeful. Maybe it's because I just had a kid. Maybe. All right. You want to go ahead and blow the save or you want me to go ahead and blow the save? Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and blow the save and play some music. So I, I preluded a little bit to it right before this aspect is uh, the Magnus household welcomed a, uh, a third addition into the family. Uh, Harper Noel Magnus was born on um, Tuesday, August 1st. Adam Jones birthday at 542 p.m. Um, things are going pretty well. That's the best way to describe it. Still getting through a few hurdles and stuff like that. But I appreciate all the congratulations and um you know well wishes uh but mainly i wanted to thank uh jake english and his lovely wife who uh stepped up to the plate and really helped out a lot uh, with our family and um well if your wife ever wants to come over and do more laundry for me i'm perfectly acceptable to do this so jake from the bottom of my heart thanks for being a great friend and uh thanks for being here during these uh really difficult times we love you big fella Love you two back. And that's that's all I have for my blow in the safe besides that. I did have to give up a lot of domestic sleep slots in order to get this baby up. But um, that, got, may, that may have been your tweet of the year, by the way. I saw that come across as like, oh, excellent. Excellent, yes. Uh, I was also thinking about um, this is going to be Bliss is blowing the safe, part deuce, basically. So I was thinking about our website. We've kept talking about the aspect of international draft slots being basically traded away. I think next year we need to get a ticker on our website where it shows how much money the Orioles have in international slot money. And then throughout the year, we show it continue to decline and decline and decline further until it gets to zero, basically. I would like to see what other teams do 
with that slot bonus. Would you like me to put together maybe an article about that and Ooh, go from there? Do we still do that? Is that a thing? I, I'm going to try to do things. I, I was actually sitting in the hospital and I was kind of putting together a list of things. And I said, I really miss writing on our site. So I'm going to put together something for you and Derek after listening to the show about international slot money and how it is used and where the Orioles rank in terms of that at over past five years. Sound good to you? Sounds nice. In the Duquette era? In the Duquette era, as it were, um, and go from there. I don't think it's going to be too much different from the McPhail era. But anywho, we'll look at it during the Duquette era. And that's pretty much all we have for this week's show. Well, that's our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, where Scotty is going to go through our our uh, international signing bonus. International signing bonus. And Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what we call social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Hey, check us out on social media. You can find us at Instagram, Facebook, Google+, Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is, of course, on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Yes. Seriously, let's go O's. Let's go O's. Let's go. Oh, yeah. I love Dawn's After Dark. <laughs>